K- I remember Katie's when podcast came. room just got occupied, so she's now in a. Is it a movie yeah. theater at this point? Or? It's the it's the theater room of Soho House. Yeah, it's the screening room where they show like all like the I don't know like. I don't know independent movies made by yeah. members who no one's gonna gonna watch. I was gonna say like Terry Richardson movies or. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Right. And let me find the. It's new all of Chloe Sevigny's home videos. Oh my god, if they I mean if they could even get such a thing. If yeah. they could get such a thing. Let's take a look here. I see the outline. Okay. <laughs> so. I'm like, this is the show. It's already started. You don't need the outline. We're, we're recording right now. What was it we were arguing about? I don't remember. You know, when, we, when we're looking at the, at the state of the tech media landscape, certainly I noticed that the Theranos trial was on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. It was on the dress page of the business section of the Times. I think it might have been front page of the Washington Post or it was not front page of the journal it was the front page photo and then you had to go inside for the story but still that's very high profile and you guys have made very plain that you do not think that this trial is worth all the coverage and I go back and forth on it I go back I'll, t- I'll tell you what turned my opinion on it was when I saw the picture of the Elizabeth Holmes like cosplayers at the trial, which maybe is unfair. You know, it really was just like the back heads of various women who had, you know, were blonde and had it in buns. But as like, man, it still did penetrate pop culture in a way that I don't think anything really has in tech in a long time. So like, yeah. there's no question to me that the media wants this trial to happen so hard. They want this to be like the trial of the decade or whatever, uh, or like pandemic entertainment. Right. But. I don't know. I mean, like, I, and, and I want to, and I want to detest it for that because it does really seem like there's no juice left in, like, in that fruit. The, the stories were so good. You know, we all watched the nine documentaries and 15 podcasts, and we feel like we got the story. But then I don't know. It's like the second Elizabeth Holmes takes the stand, and we all hear, you know, that fake ass voice. It all it could all come running, rushing back. Like, well, I mean, it's genuinely a compelling story. I think part of the issue, you know, is just. That, you know, the tech world consumes it much earlier than the rest of the public, right? Like the John Carreyrou piece came out in 2015, you know, the initial one with that sort of subtle headline. Hot startup Theranos has struggled with its blood testing technology. Right, struggled. Yeah. I mean, I remember reading that. We all saw that and we found it pretty convincing. And then she came on stage at the Wall Street Journal conference and it was, you know, this big That was before that piece came out. No, it was after. It was no, after, it wasn't. And she said the buck stops here. She was very it was adamant after. that. She oh, the was, Wall Street Journal thing was after. No, but, but they she, didn't she, have she John was on stage. do it. They had somebody else. It was like Krim, they, they, the editor. They had Jonathan Krim do it. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it was sort of like, are they going to go hard? And it was sort of mixed, even though it was their own story, which was sort of weird. Um, yeah, but that's part, so, that's the that's the nature of the conference business right. too. And so then we right. sort of watched, you know, sort of the the VC world finally accept that probably something had gone wrong, and then sort of shift from pushing back against the story to sort of saying, well, it wasn't a tech thing anyway. And and it feels like it's sort of been resolved. Like I think, especially after the book came out, most people think she's guilty and the book was pretty convincing. And I don't even think, if the jury somehow found that she was not guilty, I don't know that I would be sold that she hadn't done something unethical, right? Because clearly that's not, the jury doesn't decide sort of pure ethics. But my no, point no, the, jury, the jury is looking specifically for intent. I don't think right. any in dispute is not whether or not the device worked. In dispute is not whether or not investors were told 
something that was untrue. It's whether or not she had an intent to defraud them or whether or not, as she argues, she was not really informed. Or the other argument that I actually find really compelling that I'm hoping gets more play is this idea that she was in an abusive relationship and she's brought up the term coercive control, which is a very specific term. A couple of states in the country now have coercive control laws or are trying to pass coercive control laws, including California, Hawaii, and New York. And it's a very, uh, it's, it's a phenomenon associated with domestic abuse, um, mm. whereby basically what domestic abuse advocates argue is that physical violence is sort of the end point of an abusive relationship. That abusers, their goal is to control the other person. Their goal is to take away their freedom. Their goal is basically to entrap them. And so there are a lot of steps that happen before anybody is physically abused. And so people are starting to recognize the totality of this. And of course, I've written about it, so I'm interested in it. You know, I wrote a story about FKA Twigs and her relationship where she sued over what she considered, you know, a coercive controlling relationship that included fairly... Um, horrible allegations of physical violence. Um, you know, we've spoken with Representative Cori Bush from from Maryland about her abusive relationship and how much of it involved coercion. And so to see in Holmes's defense, um, Holmes's lawyers raise the specter that this was a part of why she acted as she acted, I think is really interesting, truly interesting. And it's not you, something that the tech you, you press find that... really got, you know, it's not this right. something the tech press uncovered in its investigations because it's a fairly new argument that's been put out by her team. Well, it's complicated by her position in sort of the narrative where it's, you know, she's the one on the magazine covers. I mean, part of the yes. reason Theranos was blown up because it was, here's a strong woman who's really leading the show. So then for the defense to be actually, she was totally controlled by a man is both counter to the whole narrative that everybody pro-con sort of agreed with. I mean... Yeah, and I'm obviously, I, I guess on that defense, there's a lot we don't know. We're starting to see like text messages and stuff, but right, and, and it's still not clear totally that they're going to do that as the main defense, right? They sort and of, it's not clear. It's just something that was raised in a court filing, and of course, you know, I think that the idea I mean, that a strong a woman can't be in an abusive relationship is one of the tropes that you know right. we've seen in reporting and you know in, in stories about domestic abuse that actually keeps women entrapped in relationships the shame they feel about admitting that they could be in that situation especially if there's that, something about their lives that says they're yeah. wrong quote unquote but do you think it diminishes i mean like i you know your fka fk so what is fka fka twigs fka twigs story we were very hit you know we really yeah <laughs> uh, she was in uh yeah <laughs> eric just discovered lcd sound system <laughs> yeah I mean, that was a, a physically abusive relationship, I think, with, with Shia LaBeouf. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, wouldn't someone like Elizabeth Holmes, who at a point in time was, uh, you know, a billionaire, at least on paper, using this, and there doesn't seem to have been physical elements of it. I mean, do, do, you, do people that focus on this type of law and, you know, the women that have been abused in it, doesn't it feel like that could diminish that? In some respect, I mean, I understand what you're saying that physical abuse is the end point of what can long be an abusive relationship. But, you know, will there be that many people that are pushing for more recognition of this kind of abuse? Uh, seeing someone like Elizabeth Holmes use that defense and saying, oh, man, this is a step too far. You know, like, I think it depends on two things. One, whether or not the defense team actually uses this argument and presents compelling evidence like text messages or emails or, you know, any of the other sorts of things, you know, 
contemporaneous notes or accounts shared with friends, any of those sorts of things that often bolster allegations and give them weight in the minds of a jury and in the minds of the public. And if that were to happen, I think that that would be an interesting thing to take a look at because, again, the idea that domestic abuse is primarily about physical violence is a, is a is not necessarily true. It's a hard right. defense to say both we did nothing wrong and I was coerced into doing yeah. right. the wrong thing. Right. So it, it does but, feel but the idea of the idea of penalty in this case is such an interesting one too because you know you never want to say never and as we've seen frequently in Silicon Valley the people that get blacklisted or blackballed or whatever can return raising rounds quite easily. I after think always get... return. Yeah, I mean, I would be. I mean, Lewandowski amazed. got pardon. Anthony Lewandowski. Yeah, he got a glowing uh... interview Q and A. I mean, uh, <laughs> and uh, Travis Kalanick, I you know said he's probably out there uh, raising. I think he wants another billion for Cloud Kitchens. You know, it was already worth like five billion. Maybe he wants sort of ten billion plus. So yeah, that. Uh, I mean, Holmes would return. be. It's a pretty ballsy move, I would say. I, not, I would not put, especially in our current funding environment, nothing is impossible. But like, you know, if the true, you know, result of any sort of punitive action is to prevent someone from being able to participate in the industry that they're in, um, I would say she might be there already. And so it'll be interesting to see like what you know blood the public really wants from her in order to feel that justice was done. I mean, the thing that always made the Theranos case step outside of the typical tech scandal and the reason that I think it had purchase in the mainstream is that there were stakes, right? It wasn't just about someone defrauding Betsy DeVos and Rupert Murdoch. It was like there were people in Arizona who were told they had- We, we thank her for that part of it. Yeah, sure. It made us feel like we're writing stories about things that have, you know, impact. No, 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 um, no, no. <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying we thank her that it's terrible. I'm saying, we, I was saying, I was joking that we're thanking her because Rupert Murdoch got defrauded. I'm, I'm cheering for that. Like that. Oh, oh. For the record, I'm not cheering for <laughs> Rupert Murdoch or Betsy DeVos to be defrauded. It's really important that that's Eric's statement and definitely not mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I too abstain from signing on to that statement. But um, I do think that, uh, you know, because there were people getting completely fraudulent blood tests because of it, it helped bring this into a level of relevancy that I always find is the major problem with a lot of tech investigations is that you're like, okay, Travis was an asshole. If you can't prove to me why this is affecting people's lives, and it did, by the way, I think in the case of Travis. Um, uh, but because this happened with Theranos, you know, it mattered. Uh, and yet, you know, we're we're at this point now. We're like, well, what is the appropriate crime to be charged with, and like, how much is she right. going to be? Mm-hmm. Well, with? It will and, be interesting to see from the trial just how many instances of people getting sort of incorrect results that affected their lives. The government can produce. I mean, that... Keep in mind, even if the government produces myriad examples, it's really the intent that's the question. Right. Because it's, you know, it's it's intentionally defrauding um, investors and users of a product is very different from just making a bad product. Right. From failing. Definitely. Do you think, I wonder how much the, the investors themselves care. I understand that's not the burden of, of proof, but it reminds me of the people that, you know, were defrauded after funding, uh, you know, the people that had the GoFundMe for Trump's border wall. Uh, and, and, and Steve Bannon and the other dude uh, ended up getting, I believe, also charged by the feds um, yes. for, for fraud. It's like, I bet you the tens of thousands of people that gave money to this, you know, completely corrupt GoFundMe 
eh, money well spent to them. Like, they got to feel good because they were pushing money towards a hateful cause that they agree with. Uh, well, I don't know how many of them would sue. Especially if they, if they, if you believe that the FBI and um, deep state agents are against Donald Trump and right. all of the people associated with him, it's it's not inconceivable. I think if if that's the place someone's coming from, to also think of those charges as completely fraudulent in and of themselves. Right. But but back to the media side of things with it. I mean, it was clear to me from I haven't read any of the stories yet because I'm still mixed on how much I care about this thing. But just reading, you know, the tweets from people like Aaron Griffin, where you know, oh my god, uh, just reading the tweets, you're a nightmare, Tom. You're everything that's wrong with this. Girl. Yeah, it's like I, I have a podcast worth take, uh, but I've only conssumed tweets on this. So uh-huh. well, I, read, I, I read the Carry Rue. This okay, is like I read not the, reading I, the book in English class. Well, you read the, the book. You read the book. Like, I read the Carry Rue. I interviewed John Kerry Rue. I'm, 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 I'm a true expert here. Okay. Uh, okay. What's the take? Fine. But but uh, it's just very clear to me that the fixation on the part of the New York Times and the Post and the Wall Street Journal is the fact that, you know, tis the media that is on trial here as well. And, you know, we're looking at, you know, the cover of Fortune where she, you know, she's out for blood. And she was clearly someone who was built up by the press because the press desired someone to one be the head of you know a a female executive which there are too few of them and so it's a very easy pitch like we've talked about in the past on the show uh to get people writing about it and it's blood which is you know which is kind of sexy and it's hardware which is something that you rarely see hardware barons and it uh, happened during that hardware renaissance around wearables and around everything being connected in the home and around there was a lot going on in terms of investment into objects that were not going to make anyone any money yeah so i mean look of course the media is never really self-reflective about any of this but like you know i i do think there could be a way that people view this trial and the amount of positive like the amount that Elizabeth Holmes as a figure is directly the result of press and the stories that we wanted to be true because it made for better stories and better magazine covers and a better economic model that, you know, could cause people to take a second look. But, you know, mm. she, she's I, such a caricature now that it probably won't happen. Well, the, the, the mainstream media, too, if, if we group the Post and the Journal and the Times into that category, the fascination is it's a general interest story now. And so, right. you know, when when we were all working at tech publications, for the most part, or business publications, <clears throat> it made sense that they were obsessed with Holmes in 2015, 16, and 17 because it was a world that our readers were really invested in when the average New York Times reader is probably not invested in the cover of Fortune magazine um, that features Elizabeth Holmes. Right. They're, right. You know, they're reading. That, like, that's the that's <laughs> the point I want to jump on because, I mean, you know, we covered it all in 2015, but then the Alex Gibney documentary comes out in 2019. And I was looking at Google Trends and that's when a lot of the search interest comes out of it. You know, we're Absolutely. talking years later. So I do think Absolutely. some of why we react negatively, uh, Tom and I at least, to the coverage now is just sort of like hipsterdom in the lamest form, which is just, oh, this was a big Silicon Valley story years ago, and why is it still playing out? And I do think it's that's one weird thing about tech, where like political stories are sort of national stories when they come out, but in a certain way, tech stories can stay pretty small for a long time. And then if somebody blows them up, all of a sudden, you know, now this is Tiger King or whatever. Well, and, it actually, right, yeah. it reminds me more of Enron, I think is the 
is the most analogous story I can think of. You know, when Bethany McLean was investi- doing those stories about Enron, it was, you know, 2000, right? 2001. And for the most part, it was only people who were interested in financial news who read those stories. It wasn't, I mean, the, the phenomenon coincided again with another Alex Gibney documentary that came out in 2005 The Smartest Guys in the Room which was based on a 2003 book that Bethany and Peter Elkind my former colleagues at Fortune who are both awesome people I want to say they're wonderful um, that they had written in 2003 and so you really saw the public interest in Enron um, build around the collapse of the company because suddenly it becomes general interest because everybody loses their jobs and regular people are losing their jobs you see the interest in what was going on with Enron, you know, build around the trial and then around this documentary. But the there was not general public interest in the investigative pieces that Bethany was writing at first. And and Theranos feels very similar, except right, you know, yeah. Theranos was a small company, so it didn't have lots and lots and lots of employees who all lost their jobs um, when it collapsed. And, you know, a whole accounting firm didn't go down as well. Right, right. And I feel like in the business world, you need to process the lessons from Theranos in 2015, right? Not saying that they're perfect, but the smart investors need to take in what went on with Enron and, you know, integrate and that they were, into and their they, world. And they were and integrating they do, and that's it what before the 2005 press, and 2003. Right, yeah. That's what the business press is trying to do. So then by the time the public's grappling with it and it's changing culture, it it's just weird that it can change culture so much later when the actual, like, movers and players have sort of accepted like something bad happened like this right. is the nature but of the also, problem I, this is how we correct like in the business sort of the business processes but it also because of a number of factors it lent itself well to a visual documentary form which i think helps a ton if it were just a book no one fucking reads so that's not going to go anywhere but elizabeth holmes there's a huge amount of footage of her mm-hmm. at you know these conferences her speaking on stage her mm-hmm. talking to her employees her for some reason jumping very slowly in a bounce house <laughs> that was mm. like frequent in the Alex <laughs> yeah and the Alex Gimme thing which is totally sensationalistic you know mm. the doc I mean there's like you know well it's clear that footage. they have very normal office stuff but they have to make it seem sinister to right their themes. sure I guess if you you know anyone in slow-mo <laughs> jumping up and down it seems sinister but right. like it, it was a compelling sensationalistic documentary and she was a great fucking character like she is well, she, she speaks weird yeah. She, yeah yeah and she, and she has a, a specific outfit and she repeats the same story over and over again and there was tons of documentary footage and it was the same with enron right i mean there were all these there was all this video of ken lay and uh i don't even remember the other guys but um uh, skilling Jeff Jeffrey skilling. skilling yeah yeah like there's like literal audio and video of them conniving to cut or not them specifically but like Enron employees conniving to cut the state of California off uh, and and cause rolling blackouts I mean that's that's good shit and it's so rare when that happens and you know compared to something like Uber which were great stories I mean I you know I loved reading Mike Isaac's book um, it's not that interesting right like it's you know it's it's a lot of scenes of you know Travis being upset and and, and, (laughs) You know, and he he was fuming after this or that happened, but it's just not going to make was, a great documentary. Wait, is this breaking news right now? Prince Andrew has just served with a lawsuit. Oh my god! The Jeffrey Epstein accuser. Um, <laughs> hold on, hold up. Interesting. We will see. Unfortunately, because it crossed my screen via CNBC, it's only a headline, and then it says, "Please check back for updates." <laughs> so. 
We'll see what happens. I look forward to that trial where he has to defend the fact that he lost his sweat glands. Or was it his <laughs> overage of sweat glands because of the Falkland Island War? How do you know I, this I, shit? I mean, uh, that was the craziest was story. Of, it was part of his BBC or wasn't it BBC? Oh. What are the, yeah, what of those? Oh. One of the greatest TV moments of the last couple of years is him being like, I, 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 I lost the ability to sweat. There was no one to tell him not to do that interview? Yeah, yeah, no that's one? when you get Brunswick in there. Where were we before I, I stepped to Well, I was or... setting up, I, I do think there's just like, there are these stories that the media feels compelled to cover even though the reporters don't like the story. Or there, there are these weird counter into it. I was thinking, I mean, What were you it's, forced to cover, Eric? Well, no, well, I'm thinking about the Facebook glasses thing. Like, it's funny that these stories come out and they get blow up coverage because it's like Facebook's doing something that people are going to want to talk about, even though the orientation of a lot of the stories is this is dumb, copying, copying Snapchat, blah, blah, blah. Like it to me, there's this, that the sort of fatalism of the media, I think, plays out in sort of the Theranos stories and a lot of this stuff where there are sort of separate intuitions about what's newsworthy and then the reporter's sort of underlying view and therefore the vector of coverage. Like, I will say that when I moved to California to cover tech, you know, I'd been covering Wall Street. I covered it at a time when you could argue it became general interest news because of the ginormous financial crisis. Um, and I had never been a tech, like I was not a gadgety person. So I was fascinated coming to the Valley about by the aggressive coverage of, of gadgets. I didn't understand it. I, it it was so alien to me that there were so many people voraciously hoovering up stories about new, you know, Apple minor improvements to products or like the Snapchat glasses. I just felt like it was a, a world that had been unknown to me. Did you did <laughs> you see the video on the iPhone 14 leak? There was this YouTube tuber who has yeah. a like, Who gives a fuck? I do. I'm like, well, I was going to buy an iPhone 13. <laughs> Way now, more people give now, a fuck about that exactly, than any of the other like, stories. This, but this that's the thing. That's, that's what I life. learned. Like, who cares what happens that's what I learned. with Holmes? Like, yeah. am I spending $1,000 on a phone this year or next year? What features am I getting? You know, am I a I could write a story about, you know, <laughs> about Blackstone's, like, takeover of the commercial real estate market, a move that basically, like, moves fixed income markets and moves like the real estate market right. and impacts all of us in myriad ways blah 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 I just stop listening no one yeah and I could then when I moved to California I could write a story about an iOS update and it would right. be like a gajillion readers but wow. that but that to me gets back to the Theranos phenomenon and one of the reasons that it worked was because it was about a piece of hardware and we're in this period now where hardware is so static and 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 there's nothing really interesting coming out in a hardware sense and so for any company to make an attempt to do something that seems novel or new i mean fuck the snapchat spectacles katie i think you waited in line for me maybe i did uh, in new york i got um, them for you it was cool yeah yeah <laughs> my twitter you, like, picture up? for a while was wearing your uh, snapchat spectacles I yeah i still have I them. I, had them i sold mine on ebay very soon after acquiring them yeah and the price like plummeted because remember at first they were going for like a couple thousand dollars oh yes um i should have sold you those made money on them katie i did make some money on them. <laughs> wow a speculator over here <laughs> yeah but like the, the yeah hardware uh is so boring right now that even when someone makes a minor attempt to do what seems to be novel uh, or, or could be, you know, interesting to a mass audience, the journalists are going to jump all the fuck over it. Even though these Snapchat, uh, sorry, huh, these Facebook glasses 
Um, the best that they've done over the course of, you know, Spectacles, which came out in 2016, I think, um, to now is that now they look less stupid. Mm. That's it. But they part of the like value of this stupidity was so that they stood out so that people wouldn't feel skeeved out by being recorded. Uh, I, think, think, I think just... Evan thought he was high fashion. <laughs> I, th- I think he, yeah. he had convinced himself. All right. You know, he was... T- Tom was a real yeah. – Tom was obsessed with Snap for many years. So I want the deep, the deep reading upon reflection of the spectacles. Well, first of all, they're still making them. And, and to Snapchat's credit, uh, there are a lot of things to, to Snap's credit and Evan's credit. I mean, one is that he has actually put out glasses that have some augmented reality features in them. They're lame. They don't do anything good, but at least they, you know, come close to the idea of what these wearable technologies are supposed to be, which is like putting some sort of computerized reality in the real world. Um, and the fact that he has recognized that they're a toy. He's said this from the beginning, like, the, you know, the, the problems that Magic Leap and these other companies run into is they make all these grandiose promises of like, this is you at work and you're going to be <laughs> like throwing emails, you know, out, right. out of your field of vision and in fact it's like a tiny you know field of vision that can do minor little gimmicks i mean it's basically where the technology is and where it's going to be you can talk about that later um but like yeah evan has always said that this is going to be something at least for the next 10 maybe more years like within the realm of a toy and so but there's these promises that you know facebook and these other and apple which is going to put out their glasses are they going to be something yeah, sure. I mean, they've been investing in it for years, right. and but when, I don't, you know. I don't, I don't know. I think the information has written like a million stories about it. I, I, I mean, it's all bullshit to me because they're not cool. All these things suck. It's just glasses with cameras on them, which at most is a convenience to not holding up your phone and taking a picture. But someday it will be awesome, right? I mean, that, that, that's I think. So. I mean, I think part of what powers so many tech stories is like the intuition. And I mean, again, to tie it back to Theranos, it's sort of. The idea sounds great. You can see why. Right, maybe sure. I, and, I have a lot of that, ideas that sound that great that are not possible. That carries the idea for so long. People are like, okay, the execution failed. Snap did this five years ago. But someday, you know, computer vision is so important. Put it on everything and you'll be able to do a ton of stuff. Like that intuition, you know, in face of all odds, all evidence, human experience, you know, stays strong. And I mean, that's sort of how we have new cool ideas, right? At some point. Sure, but I also think like people need to recognize that there is a reality, like an actual reality, of whether these things are possible in any way that people describe. I mean, like I remember one of the things that you said that I thought was like one of the smart things you said was that you were never. We were never interested in Uber's self-driving car. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you were never going to write about that because you thought it was bullshit. But you never get like credit the- for that. My problem with that was like my stance was not to like shit all over them it was just to not write about them a lot because i thought they were overhyped and it's sort of hard as a reporter to get much traction off of just like staying out of a story you know i feel uh smart maybe my readers like uh respect me if they ever figured out that that was my strategy but but yeah it's it's not a winning play necessarily as a reporter to just sit out a dumb story well i do think that these some of the these products do hit reality they just hit a market reality and so the reporters who are in the position of trying to prognosticate and explain why they're impractical and why they won't work and i was one of those reporters and it is very thankless the reality on the ground is that you are basically telling that story to a group of people who don't want to hear it it's not really a general interest story and so what have you done? Like you've laid down a record. So when the self-driving car doesn't happen by 2022, <laughs> you were right. I mean, like right. Who, it, it, do, it does feel after a while, like you're, if you want to do investigative work, your time is better spent looking at something else other than the idea that 
you've, you're talking to a, a crazy dreamer. Yeah. And on those self-driving predictions, like the media is sort of one of the main villains, right? By Of course they so, are. So by putting out the headlines that say this is going to happen in X, Y date. And sure. Happen. And I remember yeah. with, you know, I mean, to like to the Facebook glasses, like the version of that with self-driving cars was, was Waymo. It was when Waymo a couple of years ago, you know, it wasn't called Waymo then, but Google when they were, you know, working on their self-driving car tech, mm-hmm. were taking all these reporters out on these drives, these self-driving you know, tours in like parking lots in Mountain View. And there were all these glowing 10,000 word stories in The Verge about how fun it was to sit in the world's dumbest car and be like drawn, you know, driven around a parking lot. And that was six, seven years ago. But everyone <laughs> and no one story. gets held accountable. Like that drives right. me crazy. I do think well, there should be somebody should get blame. Like, I, I, I mean, feel like the, reporters there's, there's, there's a version of this for there's a version of this for so many beats, you know, on on Wall Street's deals reporting, you know, how many deals are reported on. If you're a Wall Street deals reporter, you're trying to scoop deals that never happen where company A just doesn't buy company Amen. B. Amen. Right. And Bloomberg, there was and, such and, an incentive just to report. It's like there were deal talks. Yeah, even because, if you're like, this because, is like, never going to happen. Talk. Like, sure, it's But at the same time, like, what is the point is in true, holding the reporters, like, quote unquote, accountable? Do you know what I mean? Like, because our job is to inform the public, not get them excited about dumb well, deals that are never going to happen. I well, get super excited about deals, so <laughs> this, like for my heart, this has really been tough. Here's here's the corollary in my world: investigations. When the FBI is investigating something, the number of times the investigation ends in an indictment is not one. The 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 percentage of times the investigation ends in an indictment, I will just say, is not one hundred percent. And so, is it correct for a reporter to? inform the public that an investigation is ongoing when obviously by saying that someone or something is under an investigation it it is a problem for many parties um it makes it puts the person under investigation in a position of having to defend themselves before they're actually being asked to defend themselves in a court of law which they may never be asked to defend themselves of if there is no indictment then what is the res- the role and responsibility of the media, right? And and I think that that's pr- I I, th- I think it's complicated. I want to go back to the legal issue for a second. I mean, to me, I covered, you know, I I did a story about Uber's legal problems. It was 2017. I think Dara was already CEO, and it said there are at least five uh, Justice Department investigations into Uber, which was certainly true. And Uber discloses some of them later in the S1. And some of those never, or at least to date, haven't produced anything real. Like even I think Grayball, you know, which was uh, the New York Times sort of big ethics scandal into Uber, which I think, you know, is a legitimately big deal. But um, every every unethical thing, every unethical thing is not something covered by the criminal code. And I think that's something the public, and I think that's something the media has done a bad job of explaining to the public is just because something seems unethical to us or something that we would not do does not mean that it, it lines up with some, you know, USC number. Right. And it doesn't mean (laughs) it's going to end in charges. Right. And then on the flip side, you know, Uber's big, that the hack, which may have been a bug bounty program, depending on where you sit on that, is one of the ones where, you know, Joe Sullivan was, um, you know, accused by, you know, by prosecutors. And I, I don't know where that one stands at the moment, but, but, you know, 
And Uber paid a huge settlement in that case. So there are these cases where there are big consequences years later. I mean, Lewandowski just got pardoned in 2020. Joe Sullivan, I think, just got uh, indicted in 2020. So these, th so it's possible things are still playing out. And I, I personally, this is sort of a naive reporter view, but I do think the legal system should exonerate people too. Like, I think there should be more of what, they should admit that there's been a lot of public reporting on it and they should come out and say, you know, we did look into this and we sort of, we, we, we don't think there, there's a case or, or even we think that they're innocent. Like, I, I feel like just in a online world where news travels so fast, I think the legal system should play some part in cleaning up the record. I've wondered about, um, to your point, how um, being online all of the time and the way that information both moves online and then morphs online. You know, we have a lot of people like Tom who are just reading headlines and sharing his information. <laughs> I don't <laughs> even read the headlines sometimes, just, just the tweet. When, they, when Twitter says, hey, do you want to read the article first? I'm like, nope. Hell no. <laughs> nope. And fuck you for asking. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, in the case of Theranos, I just think it's not, it's, you know, I just don't know how necessary any of it is to... The, the reason the public was interested in this, which is, again, not that <laughs> Betsy DeVos and Rupert Murdoch were defrauded, but that this person had a fabulous tale of a technology that didn't seem even close to happening. And it was sensationalized by the media, both in building it up and then later uh, and later taking it down. And I just I'll be interested to see page views wise how much people care about this trial, because it's definitely there's a, a desire on the part of the media for it to be as juicy as it remained in its earliest days and i just uh you know we'll see i go what back is, and forth on that i one. mean but i also think the edit there's editorial discretion that's important i i, I think there's a world in which sometimes and i'm not there enough that you could argue might not be this but where there are stories of great import where decisions are made to put them on a home page or to send them out as um you know, a news alert on people's phones or to put them on the front page of a publication or the cover of a publication that the public doesn't care about. And and yet it's important to do so. Right. I, mean, I think that when the Washington Post put out um, the Afghanistan papers um, a few <laughs> a few years ago, right. I do wonder how many page views those stories actually got, oh, even though they none. were arguably right. and, and, and the most important should, stories happening. should take its cues from page views. But I do think specifically right. on... On trials, well, I wanted to talk about like, like the Ellen Powell trial, right, is one where people, Silicon Valley covered it very closely. Now that's maybe more of an insider story than a public awareness story. I don't, I don't know what the penetration of, of that story was to the public. None, um, none. I mean, like it fit, it, it, because it was about sexism, I think it, it probably touched on certain areas yeah. where people were talking about, oh, this is what it's like to be a woman, right. a successful woman, and, and you know... They probably glazed position. over like, her name at some point. I mean, I thought that I'm, was an I'm interesting trial. I'm going to say trial. that for women, I think that was a general interest story. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying... I think it was important. I think it was good that it got covered. I, I just... I don't know if empirically... I'm, I'd be curious to see the date on it. Um, but to me, what's interesting about that trial is just she lost, but... I think the public consensus sided with her. I mean, certainly when I watched that trial, I felt like I took away enough to think that <laughs> Kleiner was pretty inhospitable uh, to women and Ellen Powell in particular, whether or not that met whatever the legal standard of gender discrimination, maybe the jury's better positioned to assess 
than I am. But it's an interesting case, I guess what I'm saying is that the coverage is set up to care about the verdict. But in a certain way, I do think the coverage sort of plowed through the verdict there and said that it doesn't matter in a certain way. Or I, I'm curious if you guys have takes on that. Well, you know, I, th- I think that you're right in the, in the case of Ellen Powell that even though she lost her case, that there was a way in which the public felt that she was right. Um, if nothing else, there was a sense that she'd been wronged. I think another interesting example of this is um, uh, Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation hearing. You know, there he was confirmed, right. and despite the, that fact, there are a lot of people in the United States who believe that Christine Blasey Ford was deeply wronged, even though he was confirmed, even though things went his way. And then there are, of course, also people like. You know, um, so you know there are also people who say that he was he was totally wronged as well in all of this. Right. But, but it it's it's the outcome is very separate from um, you know a right. certain segment of the public. The, the power of the trial as like a media device is that it's all metaphorical, right? It's you know you're able to apply the stakes of the trial into larger social ills that you are you know are being discussed and debated in the Absolutely. background of like the specific crime here. And so like in the case of not that it was a trial, but, you know, like Brett Kavanaugh, this was an opportunity to talk about, you know, all of the ways that the Republican Party had morphed into this kind of very base and, um, you know, Trump's, you know, grabbing by the pussy and all, all of that stuff. You were able to kind of finally have an opportunity to say, this is what this, com- you know, this, this party stands for. Look at who they chose. The fact that they're willing to ram this person through is, you know, deeply offensive to many people. And uh, there's, there's a way in which that story was also used um to play out a narrative around you know, hysteria around Me Too, right. um, overreach, right. um, you know, trial, you know, these sort of like unfair public trials of men who have been accused of sexual assault. So that did Right. Seem to there were all serve. these columns, you know, Kavanaugh yeah. should be a wake up call, a chilling moment yes. to men in America that, you know, this could happen to you. So you're right. It wasn't a trial by any right. means, but certainly right. the way that that those um, congressional hearings played out, they they allowed lots of different people to, to use um, what was happening on television as a way to tell a bigger merit- narrative about society. Right. And, and, and which, again, with Elizabeth Holmes, I just don't know what that is, right? Other than she's a compelling character. Like, what are we supposed to draw from, well, you know? Well, the, the, you know, Silicon Valley's willingness to turn a blind eye um, to problems and because it's, yeah. it wants either, you know, you could say because it wants to be innovative and it desperately wants to move society forward with these new products that nobody else would ever take a risk on or because it's just pure greed, whatever the reason. I think that's one sort of bigger well, narrative. And then like the way in which that the media builds up women and then tears them down. I just because I couldn't sleep last night, I rewatched the Framing Britney Spears documentary that the New York Times did, which is awesome. Um, it is good. And again, like it's so it's really devastating to look back on how that worked for her, how the media just, you know, the media made her um, in some ways, but then certainly destroyed her in almost every way. And so I think that's another, another sort of bigger narrative. What, well, I think one, one one thing that I'm interested in in sort of how much do fraudulent founders matter, right? In one view, 
there's a degree to which they get sort of washed up in the vastness of the money, right? The, the startup model is meant to deploy a bunch of capital. And there, you could almost say there's something good about a world in which you can deploy so much capital that like some of them are zeros and it doesn't disrupt the system. I think well, the that's what the VCs say. That's the VC right? line, right? I think right. it was interesting talking um, to Elliot uh, Brown, who co-wrote uh, The Cult of We, the We Workbook with uh, Maureen Farrell. And he, I asked him, you know, who's the victim, right? And he said, mm-hmm. you know, the victim is like the truth. And I do think that's what reporters really feel like, that, that there are these cases, especially when we feel this inevitable sense that we need to put a story in the headlines because it's big news. And so then we do it and then it's not true. Obviously we feel guilty. And then part of our way to deal with that is probably to overcorrect in the coverage on the downfall because we, over, we were too loud on the way up. And, and so I do think there's, part of what we're sorting through is just why, why did we all believe it? Why, why was the public truth wrong for so long? And how can we avoid sort of having the public truth be wrong for so long on the next big business story? Well, that, I mean, speaks so much to how reporting works, how sourcing works, um, how comp- competition between reporters works. You know, so if Business Week puts Adam Newman on its cover and writes this like extraordinarily entertaining, glowing profile of the guy, um, you know, Business Week will have access to him and he's a font of information for things beyond WeWork. And so other reporters are incentivized to want access to that as well i mean i think that's part of the reality and to be the reporter who's like this guy is full of shit is very difficult right well that's why there's sort of contagions of mood right if you're a big publication why are they all positive or negative at the same time because their ability to get the sources depends on their relative positive or negativity. But also the source's decision to want to talk to you, I think is yeah. is like a reaction to the overly effusive press that a thing gets, you know? There's there's a certain amount of jealousy. I mean, you know, there truly was a huge amount of like uh, misleading and, and inaccurate statements and lying and fraud, whatever, with, when it comes to WeWork, but the decision for people to want to speak out and, you know, leak to reporters like Elliot and Ellen and, and all the people that wrote about Adam Newman was probably due to the fact they're just like, this guy is a fucking phony. Why oh is everybody writing so many nice stories about him? Right. You need to know what's really going well, on. I, this and, is not a big story, but when I did my Munchery takedown, like my sources went ballistic when Shervin was like, Shervin Peshevar was like, this is going to be a global business on TV or whatever. And they were like, we're in like five cities in the United States. And it, it is sort of just like people suffer from just like the reality distort at some level, just watching like these untruths uh, become so huge in the press, at some point people come out and say like, oh, let's, let's correct this. And so I do think, yeah, bluster, thankfully, in the human experience has its counter in people who just like can't stomach you know, right, and that's the corrective. Right. But it's funny. Back to the investor side of things. I remember when Reed Albergati was writing the story about Magic Leap at the Information, and you know he was just uncovering more and more about how far off they really were in their tech and how, how you know the augmented reality they were promising was just complete vaporware. And he was telling me like, I think investors like to be scammed. <laughs> I think they like I think they like sort of having someone come in there and do the whole show in front of them, even though they probably know in the back of their minds, eh, they're not gonna make this work. Uh, and I don't well, know they, if that's true. 100% they they of the want time. somebody who can tell a good story and they feel like they're smart enough to see the limits of it and feel like, oh, this is gonna get more 
I, I, yeah, I don't. Otherwise, I, I, I'm trying to make your. I like the idea of that, though. That it's just believe, like but... it's just like entertainment for them, though. Like they're just bored people with like too much LP money flowing through them. They're like, well, this will be kind of fun for a bit. I can just help like make this company grow, even though well, right. you know Rony Abovitz is like you know the music man. Well, I made this or, argument, or, or, or to feel like they can guide the company to an exit before right. everything well, yeah. goes up. Well, that, it's a that's sort of different like, than liking things. Right. That, that's like the jet right. story in certain ways. I mean, yeah. I, I wrote about WeWork, you know, there's a degree to which Benchmark was perfectly rational. I mean, this is a small amount of money in a super charismatic guy. And he did raise it super high valuations. And, you know, it, 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 there's a degree to which, like, if somebody's a showman who can keep bringing money in, even if it's sort of a disastrous business, he can get it to a big enough valuation. Did Benchmark ultimately lose any money on WeWork? Not, not I mean, that I'm. I don't think so. Did, yeah. I mean, if, if at the end of the day, Benchmark's investment. I mean, they had valuation that they could have realized that that they didn't. You know, like there was promise of it being worth right. more. But, but I, at the end of they're the gonna day, they're going to come out positive. If Benchmark comes out net positive, then they weren't scammed. This sort of <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, which is like a very some part of the cold logic of investing, right? right? Right, which is why I mean, maybe to finish up here, like what was interesting about you know the reaction to Elizabeth Holmes from a lot of people in tech was reflexively saying, hey, there weren't that many VCs that invested in this company, right? I mean, there were some angel investments from like Adam Draper and maybe Steve Jurvetson or someone like that. Um, but by and large, the big name funds, even the smaller funds, didn't put money in. I mean, the true uh, people that were scammed were, like we've mentioned a million times now, like Betsy DeVos and like kind of old uh, executives at like Walgreens and Safeway or things like that. Um, it's Tim but, Draper. I don't. You said Adam. I think. I, I said Adam Draper. I'm sorry. I Tim think Draper. it's his I'll, dad. I'll let it that out. No, you're right. Yeah. As someone who, who's, who's profiled like, Adam, I'm like they're just right. Like, you know. I, sorry. Wrong. Wrong. Yeah. Wrong. Draper. The, the money Draper, not the not the fail son Draper. Um, but Adam had a great Coinbase. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll let it that out too. And he invested in Coinbase. Yeah. That was a good thing to do. Yeah. It's gone. It's gone. No. It's staying in. It's staying in. I don't want Adam Draper mad at me. Anytime we shout one another down. It should yeah. probably stay in so people understand yeah. the true dynamic. They'll just know I'm an idiot. Um, but I, I think that what You're talking about truly, Jessica Lessons column, right? Did yeah, yeah. And I, and I think she made a strong case, and you mentioned it in your column, uh, which was that if, even if there wasn't VC money in the company to the degree that you see in all these other ones, she was a product of the culture. She was embraced very wholeheartedly by the tech community. Well, I remember uh, when Jessica Lesson also wrote a story, uh, a column, the first column after the Wall Street Journal stories about uh, uh, Theranos came out, and we had a comment uh, from a tech executive, and I want to say the name, who wrote uh, that you know he thought this was a smear, uh, an absolute smear campaign from Big Pharma trying to destroy right. or big you know, you know trying to destroy, and we as millennials need to stand up for it. And it was like, yeah, no, I'm pretty sure Theranos might actually not be on the up and up. Uh, oh so, yeah, come there on! Is, was that a that was a Dave Morin? Yes. It was Dave Morin. It was a hilarious. <laughs> I argued with it, him, didn't I? I feel like I or one of these. I know. I, I remember. Don't think, I don't think. I so. argued with Dustin Moskovitz yet. about uh, internet. Um, dot sure. Org, which I was totally sure. vindicated on. Again, where I don't get credit for. Uh, right, you're a hero. Yeah, but <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I, I think there's no question at this point. It's a very strong case that she is an avatar of, you know, everything that tech stands for. Whether or not she got the money. And, uh, you know, I don't think tech won't survive a guilty verdict or anything like that. But there's no question that this is at least an opportunity for the public to sort of say, yeah, those guys out there that seem to be 
raising all this money and promising all these great things, like when it doesn't go well, there should be some sort of consequence for it. Cool. Did well, Katie leave totally? I don't. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. We kind of went over. I mean, Katie's at a Soho house, so maybe maybe the woman she was arguing with before followed her into into the just with her. Yeah. Or, or, you know, yeah. Um, her, hopefully, her uh, squad of girl boss. Security is confiscating her laptop. She can you know send the audacity file out before she gets caught. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, this was our we're we're experimenting with a form on dead cat. We're curious. Always happy to hear feedback from people you can always dm us on twitter or america newcomer.co and yeah we're we're excited just to keep exploring uh what this show is and sort of having guests and we're all open to guest ideas and uh keep listening uh stop complaining about our audio quality <laughs> uh, we're, we're working on that <laughs> and uh to- poor yeah, tom has to edit all this like so yeah, uh, it yeah. is a labor of love um yeah if you have ideas for future episodes or people that i don't know you think should leave the show um <laughs> let us let us know all right katie uh we're just looking at a face on zoom so uh really uh we'll we'll let you know ex- next episode uh, what what happened there uh, on behalf of katie benner uh eric newcomer and tom uh thanks for listening goodbye, goodbye. goodbye. silicon valley Goodbye, 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 goodbye.